Well, we have been talking about being re reconciliation people. We, we read on the first week of talking about reconciliation people uh, from the book of 2 Corinthians as Paul talked about what it means to be the people of God. And I want to read that again just to remind us of it. This isn't the scripture we're going to spend our time on today, but this is just to remind us of where we have been and what we are, what we are um, focusing upon. So it says, And Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've talked about the fact that, that in our country today, an awful lot of people don't look at the church as a place of reconciliation. A lot of them look at Christians as being people who are judgmental and divisive and difficult, and that's not what we're supposed to be. That isn't what the kingdom of heaven is all about. So we have talked in the last few weeks about forgiveness. We have talked how Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to go to people who have something against us and do our very best to work toward reconciliation because broken relationships are not what God intends for his people. Last week, Pastor Kerry uh, talked to us about loving our enemies. And today, we're going to be looking at exactly what Jesus says is the, his plan, what we are to do to work toward reconciliation, and then everyone is not willing to be reconciled. You probably know some folks like that. What do you do? As a follower of Jesus, as a minister of reconciliation, what do we do when somebody does not want to be reconciled? So we're going to be reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 15. The Bible. Here, we're going to do a, a little lesson thing. I asked them last night, okay, here it is. Now you tell me when it's done, if this is helpful or not. They thought it was helpful. Because if they said, no, it's not helpful, you weren't going to hear it, okay? But uh, they said it was helpful, so we're going to go through this, this quickly. <coughs> the title in the latest edition of the NIV of this section is Dealing with Sin in the Church. There have been two editions of the New International Version of the Bible. The last one was made in 1983. The first one was 1983. And in it, it, it says, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but I think it says something, reconciliation with a brother who sins against you. Now, those are not the same thing, are they? So, 
Here in the very first sentence of this passage, you'll see why they are different. In, I'm going to be reading ex from the latest translation, but I'm going to stick some words in there. If you read along, it says, If your brother or sister sins, the words that are missing are against you. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Why are the words missing? Well, here's, here's the brief story. So, for, for almost 1,500 years, the way Bibles were created was someone sat down at a desk with a pen. Here's a copy. They wrote out the copy. That's the only way. There were no printing presses. You probably know this. It wasn't until the 1400s, the late 1400s, when there were printing presses. And so the only way to actually have a Bible to look at, it was a handwritten Bible. Now we have hundreds of manuscripts of these handwritten Bibles. I don't know. I know the world is different from when I was in school. But uh, when I was in school, you'd write a paper, but the paper had to look good. So once you had the paper written, then you'd have to write it all over. And sometimes, you know, you're reading over here and you're writing, and you miss something. Or in the case of these Bibles, sometimes people would use them to study God's Word. And then they, they'd say, what does that mean? And they'd do some study. And, and then they'd write in the margin, they'd write their notes. Well, now these copyists, to make it even more complex, all of these copyists could not read. So they're here, they see A, A, and they go back and forth like this because they can't read the words. And so they come to a note that's written in there, and they just write it in in the new copy. So that's why some versions, some translations, have extra verses in it. Um, so if you compare, some of you have read the Bible enough, you say, well, there's, they're not the same. You can tell. Uh, well, it's because of these copyists. These copyists did not always get it exactly right. Well, there are those two words, against you. Almost all of the manuscripts say, if your brother sins, about, uh, uh, well, a great number of them say, against you, and a great number don't say it at all. Those two words are missing. Why? We don't know. We don't know. But there are scholars who make livings trying to figure these things out. So they, they, tried, they study the whole passage. They study the context, the bigger picture. They try to make choices. They basically, we know that some of the manuscripts are generally more accurate than some of the other manuscripts are. And you see, the Bible is not a magic book. Muslims complain, uh, no, mu mus Muslims claim that the Quran was spoken by God to an angel. The angel came to Muhammad and said, here is the word of God. Write it down exactly word for word. This is what God said. That's not what we say about the New Testament. The New Testament is, is a book where, where different people who knew Jesus 
who were eyewitnesses who said, if anybody's got to know Jesus, we know him because we were his disciples. We spent time with him. We know him. And I'm writing down here what, me as a, what, what I as an eyewitness know Jesus said. So that's what it is. It's the eyewitnesses. Without the eyewitnesses' accounts, we wouldn't know anything at all about him. We'd have some stories, but who knows whether they're made up or whatever. So these are the eyewitness accounts. And so we have this eyewitness account. So scholars are divided. The first group of scholars who translated the first NIV said, we're choosing the manuscript that has the words against you in it. This last group of, of translators chose the manuscripts that didn't have that in it and said, that's, that's the one we're going to translate. It changes the sense of the passage very much. So how do you figure it out? Well, maybe you can't because you're not a Greek scholar, are you? But uh, here is the easiest. So I believe, to, and today I'm going to preach as though the words against you are there. Why? because that fits the whole passage. The whole chapter is about being reconciled to people. It's not about reprimanding anybody. It's about, it's about don't be an offense. He says, if you're, uh, Jesus said, if you're being an offense to people so that they turn away from God, he said, it'd be better that you had never been born, that there had been a millstone, you know, these big grinding stones that grind the wheat, it'd be better you had one tied around your neck and you'd be tossed in the sea than, the, than that you would cause somebody some kind of offense that w they would turn against God. So, um, and then the whole chapter, the next thing right after this, he's going to tell a story, a very powerful story, that says you got to forgive. So just the passage seems to be about people being reconciled, forgiving, working out differences with one another, not suddenly right in the middle of it all. There's this thing about, well, you know, if somebody in the church is messing up, go get them. Okay? So, um, you don't have to agree with that because nobody knows for sure. At least everybody who knows for sure, they're already gone to heaven. So, uh, so we're going to take it that way. I will tell you that, that one of the most prominent New Testament scholars in the world, N.T. Wright, when he did his translation of the New Testament, you can buy it, he chose the manuscript that says, against you. So we're going to follow that, that line of thought. And uh, maybe you should read it both ways and see what it says to you both ways. So let's go back. And let's start reading with verse 15 again. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now here's something you need to reconciliation. You're wrong and you're right. Not winning an argument. Not defending yourself. Not justifying yourself. 
It is always about reconciliation. And so Jesus says, here are the steps. If you are my followers, here is what to do when you have broken relationships. It's easy to understand, but it's not necessarily easy for us to submit to. And it can be a bit intimidating at times. So, oftentimes, people choose to gossip, to try to build up sides, get everybody to say, oh, yes, you're right, Those, that person's a complete jerk. That's not what he says. In fact, you're not even supposed to talk to anybody about it yet. Here is step one. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Put it all out on the table. Say, this is what it looks like to me. This is how I felt about it. <clears throat> and, and this is why I find it an offense. And then you, you know you have to listen to them. Maybe they had completely different intentions than what you thought. Or maybe they say, yeah, but the reason defending themselves, and it turns out that somehow you had offended them, things you were completely oblivious to. So it's just everybody putting everything out there on the table and then saying, okay, how are we going to deal with this? so that we can be reconciled and continue our relationship. And let me tell you what my experience is. Though people are intimidated, intimidated about this, it almost always works. It really does. It almost always works. Because somebody said, Enough of the hostilities. Let's sit down and talk this through, and let's be reconciled. Let's figure out how we can continue on doing things together. It almost always works. Not always, but it almost always works. So, remember, this is not about trying to win. The people who win are the people who reconcile. If you get up and leave and you're, there's still no reconciliation, everybody's a loser. No matter how much you are able to deliver your heart and mind of what was bothering you. So if the person does, does refuse to be reconciled, then step two. If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That comes from the Old Testament law. There needs to be, be two witnesses. That's a part of their tradition. So he says, take someone with you. Now this is the first time you even tell somebody about the offense. Other than the offender. And the two of you together try to work it out with this person. You have another meeting. I've gone to this step before. 
you have another meeting. And you say, look, I'm really serious about this reconciliation stuff going on. And with you turning around to you and saying, because it is possible that you're wrong. So that is, is step two. I rarely, rarely, rarely have ever gone to step three. Now here's the truth about it. If you come to me and say, this person offended me and I want you to go reprimand them and set them straight, I will ask if you have done those two steps. And if you say no, I will say, go do it. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll get involved. But you see what step three is. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the assembly. Tell it to the disciples of Jesus. Don't stand up in church and say, you know what that person over there did to me. Please don't do that. That's, that won't bring about a lot of reconciliation, right? The point's reconciliation. So don't do that. You can talk to some of the church board. You can talk to one of the pastors and ask for their help. And then, with that person's help and that person's presence, the, the broken relationship is addressed. And hopefully there'll be reconciliation achieved. You, you see, if you do this, you say, I'm I am committed to reconciliation. That's what Jesus is all about. But even still, some people will refuse. And he says, treat them like, uh, it says pagan. The word is, is a Gentile. Treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, in that day, a lot of the Jewish people who lived in the Holy Land treated people who were not Jewish as though they were to be tolerated and you had as little contact with them as possible and you didn't give them respect. And the worst people on earth, if you had asked them, who are the worst people on earth? They would have said, tax collectors. And so what, what is he saying? He says, you did everything you could do. You tried. Now you're free. Don't worry about it. Don't let them bother you. And just don't worry about the fact that the relationship is broken because it's obvious if you did those three things, you didn't want it to be broken, and they have chosen to perpetuate the break. So it's on them. So that is what Jesus said for us to do. Now, it takes humility to do this. You can't go into this saying, well, I'll do this, but they're going to respect me. Let me tell you, you're not going to get respect from everybody on this planet. That's not the goal of life. You know who you are as a child of God. You have heard what God had to say to you about who you are. You are treasured and valued, not because somebody has a good opinion of you, because Jesus loves you and is faithful to you and cares for you and, and treasures you. There's where your value comes from. So when people don't treat you with respect, you don't have to go have a cry. You don't have to go and complain to people. You do self-talk to yourself. I know that's the way they treat me. I know that's what they say. And people say horrible things. You have noticed that, haven't you? But you say, I know that is not true. 
I know what the truth is. The truth is what God says about me. And he says, you are my beloved, very valuable child. And so I'm okay. I can just let their awful words, I can just let them go. I can just let them go. I don't have to hang on to that because it isn't even the truth. But it takes humility to do that. But remember back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there are all those ways that Jesus says people are blessed. And it says, blessed are the meek and the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Not the brash, the arrogant, the bullies, but the ones who trust God, who are willing to to just say, okay, I'm following you, Jesus, so it's up to you to make this work, because I'm doing, I, I'm going to do what you have instructed me to do. So people of reconciliation. Being people of reconciliation sounds like fun until you get down to the nitty-gritty, doesn't it? Who wants to do that? We do, because we're children of God. And he has, he came to us, the offenders, the ones who, who were in rebellion against him, the ones who were intentionally at times doing what we knew he did not want. We were very offensive. And he gave himself for us because he said reconciliation with you is that important. And now he says to us, so you, my reconciled children, be like me. Be ministers of reconciliation because this world is very broken and you, my followers, are the hope of the world. So what are you going to do with what Jesus tells us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us and having mercy. For doing everything that was necessary to reach across the gulf between us and you that we had created. for offering forgiveness and grace and for Jesus even offering his life on the cross to prove your love and set us free. Now we pray that you would guide us in our lives. Our world is very broken. Just the group of us can't change the whole world, but there are people that ha either are a part of our lives or have been, that we have influence with, where we can show reconciliation grace just as you have to us. So as your very grateful children, we offer ourselves to you. Make us ministers of reconciliation in this world. Help us, give us wisdom, 
Give us courage and strength to do what it takes to be ministers of reconciliation. We ask this because we want to bring glory to you, our Savior. Amen.